Well, good evening again. Good to see all of you that have come out tonight and trust the Lord will bless our time together in his word. Uh, tonight, I'd like to have you open your Bibles to begin with to Jeremiah chapter 18. <clears throat> I'm singing so loud that I have to have a sip here. <laughs> I love singing praises to about the Lord. You know, we just got through thinking, singing, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. And for the most part, that is true. But as we look at what we're going to be looking at tonight, uh, I hope you understand that this should thrill your soul as well as the Lord is working in your life. Now, this morning we looked at Daniel chapter 1 and pointed out that even as a young lad, Daniel purposed in his heart to live godly. And of course, he understood, as we understand, as we live godly in Christ Jesus, that God honors those who honor him. So the challenge this morning was for us to live godly in Christ Jesus so he can bless us as he really desires to do. If we're not living godly in Christ Jesus, well then, we're going to find tonight's lesson is probably what's going to be taking place and does take place in the life of every believer. And what we have in chapter 18 of Jeremiah, I've just put a simple heading on, in the potter's hand. In the potter's hand. I think we're somewhat familiar with this particular passage. We're just going to look at the first six verses to begin with here. And as we read this, look at it very carefully. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, now we know that Jeremiah was a weeping prophet. I had to deliver many messages to the nation of Israel that caused them not to always be too happy and of course, like anyone who stands up and teaches the gospel, the good word of the Lord Jesus Christ faithfully, uh, they're not always appreciated. And yet, the truth has to be revealed. So here we find Jeremiah receiving a message from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he was making something at work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, or look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. Now again, God will bless the reading of his word. I want to have you focus your attention on verse 6 particularly, in the phrase, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. Now, I have not done a lot of work with clay. Uh, I've done a little bit. Uh, mainly when I was a youngster in school, 
and I had a terrible time with it. Uh, there were times it was too hard, so I had to really pound on it, you know, get it flat, really squeeze it to get it soft, try to mold it, and of course, without any artistic skill when I was all done, it really wasn't a very beautiful or useful tool or vessel. I've seen people work on a pottery setting uh, with much more sophisticated material, but even there, uh, as you watch, you know, you, you notice what they're doing with their hands. And now, of course, they have a wheel. And sometimes they work with the clay very firmly and hard. And other times, very gently, just molding things, smoothing them out in a very gentle fashion. And what we see here is that God, in sovereign grace, is able to take a marred pot or vessel and remake it into a useful pot or vessel. Now, of course, here we have the nation of Israel before us. And, of course, that's the glob of clay, so to speak, he's working on. And obviously, from the context, uh, he was not happy uh, with the vessel the way it was. And, of course, we aren't just talking about Jeremiah and the nation of Israel. See, this is to be relevant for us in our lives today. And, you know, the Lord continues to work on his people because he has a purpose in mind for every one of his people. And, yes, we are vessels of the Lord, but we're nowhere near the vessel he wants us to be yet. And throughout life just as he had to do with the nation of Israel, he's working on that vessel. And I want all of us to exist, examine our own lives as we go through this, as I had to examine mine as I studied and put this together. You know, it's God in sovereign grace is able to take a marred potter vessel like me and like you and remake it into a useful vessel for him. Now, in this parable, the Lord, of course, is the potter. And Judah, here called Israel, is the clay vessel. And I want to draw your attention to the verse that emphasizes the fact that the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. Well, the clay or pot vessel is in God's hands to do as he desires. But you see, the spoiling of that pot or vessel was not God's fault. It was Judas by choice. You know, it's important you read that verse carefully. God isn't the one who made this a marred vessel. They had become a marred vessel. And that's the vessel that was in his hand, Judah. And he now was going to make it into a vessel that was pleasing to him. And you and I have to understand that there are times in our lives when we find ourselves in the hands of our gracious yet holy God. And if we're marred, it isn't his fault there's things we've allowed to come into our lives. And we can look back and, you know, I've been saved for a lot of years. 
And I have experienced the molding of the potter on this individual, trying to make a vessel that would be useful to him. And you know, this clay potter vessel in God's hand, he's going to do as he desires with it. Do you understand that? Who is in control of our lives? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is in control of our lives. He is to be our Lord and Master. And we have better understand that. He's going to mold us and make us after his will to the type of vessel he desires us to be. And God's desire was to mold them into a vessel honoring to God. But they chose to walk according to their own ways. Does that ring a bell with any of you? Are there times in your life where you just want to walk your way and not God's way? Well, when that time comes, guess what's going to happen? You're going to find yourself in the potter's hands. And he's going to start molding and making you to what he wants you to be. Now, I know some use this passage as a gospel message uh, to unbelievers. And, of course, what they're seeking to do is point out that their lives, which are marred by sin, can be made new again by placing their faith and trust in Christ. Now, this, of course, is true. I mean, he's the only one that can take a poor lost sinner lift him from the miry clay, and set him free. That's true. But you see, the primary application is to the believer. In this case here, in the Lord God of Israel, and of course for us, in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's keep this in our mind as we proceed further. Now, as you think about the potter, I think the primary point is this. The pressure of the hand of God molds our lives like clay in the hands of a potter. So you have to envision clay and yourself. The clay in God's hands, you and I in God's hands. And just like I had to do when I was a kid not knowing what I was doing and what I've observed, there are times the pressure. You feel the pressure of those hands molding you and working on you to conform you to his will. And other times, you will experience a very gentle working in your life with the same purpose in mind. You know, it's not for us to determine how he does it. The bottom line is, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to mold us like clay in a potter's hand to make us what he wants it to be. And I don't know about you, but I've experienced, you know, sometimes this pressure is inward pressure. You feel it within. And it's called conviction. When's the last time you really felt the convicting hand of God in your life? You know, I look back over my 60-some years of being a child of God, and there have been many times 
whether I felt that inward convicting pressure of God working in my life. When I allowed sin in my life, he convicted me. And sometimes it really hurt. You ever experienced that? I can't believe you haven't. If you want to be honest. Well, when you think about all that thrills my soul is Jesus. Does he thrill your soul when he's putting the pressure on to change your life? And it hurts. The Lord chastens those he loves. There's no greater test of God's love and proof of God's love than the way he works on his children to mold them and make them to what he desires them to be. You know, David said in Psalm 32, 4, Day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. Day and night his hand was heavy upon me. Well, as you read that psalm, why? Because it concerns sin in David's life. God does not tolerate sin in the lives of his people. And David understood that. But you know, I think when it was all said and done, David would say, like we sang tonight, all that thrills my soul, in his case, would be the, the Lord God, Jehovah. Because you see, what did it lead to? It led to repentance and forgiveness. You know, if you find yourself in sin, and you don't feel the convicting hand of God, you've got a problem, a serious problem. You see, that sin has to be dealt with, and the Lord's going to make sure you understand that. And you know, the marvelous thing is when he really convicts you and it hurts, what do you, well, I don't know what you do, but I know what I do. I instantly confess my sin, repent of my sin. And guess what happens? The peace and the joy of the Lord returns in your life. David experienced that. You know, there's a passage uh, in John 16. I just have us maybe turn there for a moment. It's a passage we're somewhat familiar with. But you know, the Spirit of God has been placed within us. And he's there as our earnest, our shield, our comforter, our teacher, our guide. And he's there to convict and work in our lives, to draw us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And these words in John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11, every child of God here experienced what the Spirit of God is, do, is doing here in verses 7 through 11 because it deals with justification. He's speaking to the world. And if you're here with Christ in your life tonight, well, I understand you weren't always, you didn't always have Christ in your life. There was a time when the Spirit of God had to do this in relationship to you. 
The Lord says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me. You remember when you were like that? No, you weren't always a child of God. You weren't born that way. There had to be a time in your life when you were convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment of sin because you didn't believe on him, of righteousness because I go to my father and ye see me no more. You had to be convinced of his righteousness and your lack of righteousness before a holy and righteous God, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. You had to realize you stood in the place of judgment, but at the same time, he bore that judgment for me. And you see, when the Spirit of God truly convicted me of those things, and I cried out for salvation, I was declared righteous, justified. And then you look at the next few verses. He says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Nevertheless, when he, the spirit of the truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for that he shall receive a mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, shall he take the mine and show them unto you. Well, I would suggest here that we're talking now about sanctification. You see, there are still things we have to learn. We don't know it all the moment we're saved. There were so many things he still had to say to the disciples. They weren't ready to hear them yet. They had to wait for the Holy Spirit of God to come and indwell them. We have the Spirit of God within us. And he continues to teach us the things of God, of Christ, so we can grow and become more conformed to the image of that one who loved us and gave himself for us. Yes, sometimes this experience of pressure is inward in the form of conviction. Well, sometimes also the pressure is felt outwardly <clears throat> through circumstances he uses to shape and mold us. You know, David also said in Psalm 31, 15, my times are in thy hands. What a marvelous th thing to know. You know, all of us are going through things. I, I couldn't help but think, uh, as Dave was sharing about his surgery, <clears throat> I thought, boy, th this lesson really ought to <laughs> encourage him. Because, you know, all of us go through times that we don't appreciate. I'm not picking on David. I just used that as an example. I, it just popped in my head when he got up and shared that this morning, how fitting this is. David's times are in the Lord's hands. All of our times are in the Lord's hands. And he's molding us and making us and doing whatever it's going to take to do a work in us 
that he desires to bring to completion in his way. And, you know, as you think about some of these pressures and things, you know, a beautiful example of this is found in 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'd like to have you just look at that a moment. Most of us are somewhat familiar again with that passage. In fact, I, I know a number of years ago I spoke on the book of 1 uh, Peter, so I'm sure we shared some of these things, but that's so long ago I can't believe anybody's going to remember it. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he starts out by saying, And this ye greatly rejoice. Well, rejoice in what? Well, of course, everything from verse 3 up through uh, verse 5, the full and complete salvation we have until the last time. But then he goes on and said, In this we greatly rejoice, though now for a season, since necessary, ye are in heaviness, through manifold trials, that the trial or testing of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, as you look at this particular little example, I thought, you know, the example of this truth it's the same as we have here in the potter's hand. It's just a different metaphor. You know, here the metaphor in Peter is fire. And it's related to trials. Instead of pressure related to clay. You see, the Lord is at working here outwardly. In the trials and the testings that he allows to come in to our life. And it's interesting, as you look at the latter part of verse 6, it simply says, they are necessary. I know some translations say, if need be. Well, the word if is really not a good translation there. It would be, since need be, or since necessary. Why are these trials necessary? Well, the Lord, you know, never will send a trial, whether it's pain or sickness or trouble or disappointments or tears, that are not necessary. You know, I look back over my 74 years, and there's been some tough times. Did I rejoice in the Lord on all of those? You know, we often cannot see any good coming from present trials. But, you know, the Lord has a purpose. The Lord is at work. We don't know why or what he has in mind necessarily at the time. But you know, often in those trials, some of them sad, some of them regretful. As you look back and see how the Lord worked and brought you through, how your faith grew, your faith in him grew, how much stronger you became in your relationship with the Lord. Oh yes, no trial or testing for the moment is a pleasant thing. Our Lord never sends anything along that's not necessary. How we accept him, however, is important because it reveals a great deal about our relationship with the Lord. How do you handle the trials and the testings that the Lord brings into your life? Well, I know how I handled them sometime, and it wasn't very good. Sorry. 
You may be different. But you know, overall, I have found them to be very helpful, very strengthening, very encouraging in my walk with the Lord because they're necessary. I may not think they're necessary, but the potter knows they're necessary. And the purpose of these trials or tests, well, is that your faith may be tested. Your faith, your faith in what? In him. It's the trials and tests of life that will show us just how much faith we have in him. That's why they're necessary. And I find, you know, the greater the trial, when it is over, and you've learned to turn yourself over to the Lord in that trial or that testing, the greater your faith becomes in him. And it prepares you for the next trial. And you may say, well, I've had so many trials, I don't need any more. Oh, yes, you do. You will need them till the day the Lord takes you home. And even then, prior to that moment you go into his presence, you're still not perfect. You will only be perfect when you're in his presence. Then all will be as it should be, because we will be like him. We long for that day. But in the meantime, here we are. You know, here our faith is compared to gold, obviously, in Peter. And, of course, gold is tested by fire for two reasons. And as you look at the trials and tests in your lives, keep in mind why you might be having trials and testing. He wants to test to see if your faith is genuine, just like we test gold by fire to make it see if it's genuine gold, as to, opposed to fool's gold or some other mineral. And the hotter the fire, the purer the gold. Getting back to Jeremiah, the greater the pressure on the clay, the better the vessel will become. You see the same idea, but a different metaphor here. And the second reason is tested by fires to, to remove impurities. You know, the hotter the fire, the purer the gold. The greater the pressure, the better the vessel. You see, the Lord tells us and tests us for faith for the same reason. He wants you to understand he expects your faith to be a genuine faith in him. He wants to make sure you're pure and complete. And of course, we talked about that this morning, purpose in your heart, to be godly. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 18. This, again, was just another example showing you the same thing with a different metaphor. Now, when you go back to Jeremiah, one thing becomes very clear as you look at verse 3, the latter part. And it says in that particular part there, he's making something at the wheel. He's making something at the wheel. In other words, there's a purpose in the mind of God concerning his children. 
He has a purpose for every life of one of, of his children. He's at work at the wheel. He's not just there playing around. He's working in the lives of his children. He has a purpose in mind. You see, like the potter, his purpose is twofold. Now, again, I've never done this in reality as far as a potter goes, but I love pottery. I, I have tons of mugs, beautiful things, and they're useful things, and that should give you a hint already as to what's taking place. You see, the potter has two purposes in mind. One is to make a beautiful, lovely vessel. And he's going to mold it and make it and work on it until it's beautiful, it's lovely. That's one thing he wants to do. It's interesting when you think about this now in relationship to our salvation and the Lord working on us. Why does he work on us? To make us lovely and beautiful vessels for him. In Psalm 149, verse 4, it says, He will beautify the meek with salvation. See, he's already begun the work. You understand how beautiful your salvation is in the eyes of God? Oh, we rejoice in our salvation. But nowhere near how he rejoices in the salvation he has made possible in your life and mine. And we're all aware of the three aspects of this great, beautiful salvation. We've been saved from the penalty and the guilt of sin. That's justification. I've been declared righteous before a holy and righteous God. Now that's beautiful. What a salvation that is that can make me righteous in God's eyes in and through Christ. I have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And we also have the present aspect of it, as you know. Sanctification. Sin no longer has power over me. Satan has no more power over me. I've been delivered from those things. You know, Peter also tells us that his divine nature has been imparted to us that we might escape the corruption that is in this world through lust. He's given us everything we need for spiritual life and godly living. There is absolutely no excuse for any one of us not to live godly in Christ Jesus. We have been set apart to God from sin and self. And we're to live that way. Our salvation is a beautiful salvation. And then, of course, there's the future. And that's what we're all looking for. That day he will present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding great joy. Yes, he wants to make a beautiful and lovely vessel, but see, that's not enough. He also wants to make a vessel that is useful. Useful. Yes, your salvation is beautiful. But how useful are you? I ask myself that question very often. Am I really useful for my Lord? He wants me to be. 
He wants the beauty of Christ to be seen in my life, but he also wants to use me. And, of course, that gets us back to the lesson we had the last time we were together, and that's in John 15. We're not going to go through that again, but remember, he says, I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. He saved you so you would be useful. And yet how often we find ourselves of no use because we're not willing to be used of him. Well, guess what's going to happen? He's going to start working, molding, doing whatever it takes inwardly, outwardly, to bring you to a place where you are a beautiful, useful vessel for him. That's his desire. And as I thought about some of the things, well, what would make me a worth, uh, worthless, uh, worthy vessel? And I'm just going to read a couple of little verses, and not we're going to have time to look them up. But in Colossians 1:10, it says, "Walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him." Is that your desire? Think about it. Genesis 17:1, "Walk listening to Him." I think I might have mentioned this before. Why did the Lord say in, in Genesis 17:1 to Abraham, Abraham, he gave him the promise. He said, now, go thou and be thou perfect. And that word perfect means listen to me only in that passage. Why did he have to do that? Well, you go back to 16, chapter 16, verse 1, and what did Abraham do? You know, he and Sarah both received the promise. And now his wife says to him, you go and have a child with my concubine. Why? Well, obviously her faith was gone in that promise. Obviously Abraham's wasn't all that strong either at that point in time. So he listened to his wife. And we're living with that problem today. So now he says in 17, he gives him the promise all over again. He says, listen to me only. Good advice. Listen to him only. Not what others tell you. Micah 6, 8. Walk humbly before the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Walk by faith. Faith in him. Not faith in your strength or anybody else's advice. You walk by faith in him. Galatians 5, 16. Walk in the spirit. If you go to Ephesians, of course, we're to be, be filled, controlled with the Spirit of God. So the fruit of the Spirit can be seen in our lives. Ephesians 5, 2, walk in love. How that's needed in the household of God today. You know, Ephesians 5, 18 points out that the love of Christ is to be shed abroad in our hearts. And particularly in relationship to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Ephesians 5, 8, walk as children of light. 1 John 2, 6, simply walk as he walked. You see, this is what he's trying to conform us and make us like himself. In verse 4, we see how patient, I just want to mention this, the love of God is. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again. Another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. You know, 
What does he do with this vessel that is marred in his hand? Well, did he cast it away? Mm -mm. He will never cast one of his vessels away. He's going to work on it. He's going to remake it to the way he wants it to be. See, he remakes it again, another vessel has seemed good to the potter to make it. And, of course, to conform it to the image that he desires the vessel to be. And we know from Romans 8, 29 what that image is. He wants to conform us to the image of his dear son, the Lord himself. You know, as you think about all of these things, there's a song, and we're not going to take time. I was going to read through all four verses. I'm just going to read one just to get the idea. But the words in and through us, uh, to make us willing and faithful vessels to Christ is what he's truly trying to work in, in within us. And our attitude and response should be, we all know this song, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Well, I'm not going to read all four verses, but I'm just going to read one because of time. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. Oh, how we like to squirm. Yielded and still. We have to allow the Lord to have his way in our lives. And in verses 5 and 6, I want to mention these briefly. It, brings, it brought three things to my mind. And let's just look at them again. Verses 5 and 6. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Look as the clay is in the hands, or the potter's hands, so are you in my hands, O house of Israel. Well, look at that verse and replace, O house of Israel, with yourself. And notice again what he's saying here. As the clay is in the potter's hands, so are you in my hands. And as I thought about that verse, three things came to mind. The first was the changelessness of God's love. Yeah, I may be a broken, useless vessel, but I'm still his vessel, and he still loves me. And it doesn't matter how broken I may have become or am at the moment. There's one thing we see here. His love never changes. For those who are his. He always loves us. In Jeremiah 31.3. We're familiar with this verse. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And he loves me enough. To chasten me. As we read in Hebrews 12.5 and 6. He doesn't cast me off. He loves me enough to work on me. And the number of times he's had to work on me is unbelievable. 
but he keeps doing it. That's love. His love is changeless. But it also reminds me the costliness of God's love. And, you know, we always need to remember this. And I thought of Isaiah 52, 14, as I thought of the Lord putting all this pressure on this marred vessel. Because we read in Isaiah 52, 14, his visage was marred more than any man. So now what I want you to do here is envision. Here you are, this vessel, in the hands of the one whose visage was marred more than any man. And you may feel that what he's applying and the pressure he's putting on and the things he's doing to change you, oh yeah, they're painful. Sometimes they hurt inside. Sometimes it's outwardly. But take a look up in the face of the one who's doing the molding. And you will see that face which was marred more than any man. And he's the one who's molding me and making me. How can I dare complain? Think about it. How can I dare become upset, angry, frustrated, because the Lord's working endlessly in my life. Things I don't always like to see in there. I don't like that conviction all the time. It hurts when you're convicted. But take a look in the face of the one who's doing the molding of this broken vessel. Oh, it brings out the chainlessness of the love of God and the, also the costliness of the love of God to, towards us. Somebody has said, we as marred vessels can look up into the mar marred visage of the Son of God and see there and there alone the assurance of the forgiving love of God. And finally, the third thought that came to me, and we'll close with this, we are safe and secure in those hands. <laughs> you know, his hands are the ones that are molding and making us. But you know, when you're in those hands, you are so safe and so secure. Just to remind you of that, just go back to John chapter 10. And if you don't feel like turning to it, just remember it and read it over and over a few times on your own later. But these, these verses came to mind as I thought about this. Verses 27 through 30. It's the Lord speaking, beautiful words. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now, if that's not good enough, go on to verse 29. My Father who gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. You know where you are? You're in the hands of your blessed Savior. 
You're in the hands of your heavenly Father. Yes, he's working on you. Praise God for that. It may not be the most enjoyable thing you can experience, but you will re reap the benefits of his working in your life. Oh, he loves us. And he will stop at nothing to conform us to what he desires us to be. Allow God to be God in your life. Listen, respond to his molding, his making you in accordance to his desire for you. You see, how comforting it is to know our loving God and Savior is patiently molding and making us to become more like himself now and will make us to be like him throughout all eternity. Well, both of these lessons today have been somewhat of a challenge. And I hope they've spoken to your heart. They spoke to mine as I was putting them together. In the potter's hand, no better place to be than in the potter's hand. Let him work in your life to his honor and glory and to our betterment as his children. Shall we pray? Our gracious God and dear Heavenly Father, how thankful we are for your word. How thankful we are that you love us so much that even though we are marred and many times very useless vessels, you still love us. That you will take us in those loving hands of yours and mold us and make us to what you want us to be. May we allow you to have your way in our lives. It's so tough for us to let go of self. But Lord, we gain nothing by hanging on to self. May we allow the Lord Jesus Christ to truly be Lord and Master in our lives. May we rejoice in the fact that he loves us enough to work us over, to conform us more to his image. Just help us, Lord, to rejoice and in whatever comes into our lives, knowing that you are in control of all things. Nothing comes into our lives that does not pass through your precious hands before it gets here. Just help us to look to you, seek your wisdom, your guidance, your direction, and do so with a thankful heart, knowing that you are desirous to become conformed to the image of your dear son. And someday we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Part us now with your blessing. Bring us to various homes and safety, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.